the weather is going to warm up soonish, we hope, or so we thought. Um, does it feel warm yet? Kind of like it feels like mm, it's warm out here. The other day, Jacob walked outside and he was like, "Oh, it's so warm outside," and I, <laughs> I was like, "I really remember it being really cold." So I pull up my my weather app and I'm like, "13 feels like six. You're crazy. <laughs> like your perception of reality is so far off right now. <laughs> we have just been so tainted by this cold, right? Is anybody else just tired of the cold and the hibernation and the winter and?" Can we just like hibernate in the sun for a minute? Like the sun has been shining and I really like it. It is shining today, as you can see on our beautiful windows. Well, welcome to Courage Church. If this is your first time, I did see a new face. Um, there are two new faces uh, the first time. Uh, welcome and thank you for being here um, in this cold, blistery, sunshiny winter, winter day. Um, today, I would like to close our series. We've been talking about all the broken pieces and the way that God puts us back together and really through the spirit and the mercy and grace of who God is and who Jesus is and who, what he did for us on the cross and, and the plan and the mission of God is to take our just utter brokenness and the things we all experience, the, the things that we experience from maybe just our circumstances, maybe our trauma, maybe our just the, the things we feel um, and the things that we go through, those things are all very true realities and we don't want to hide those and pretend that they're sin and they need to stay hidden until we have a victory, right? Because when God takes our broken pieces and puts us back together, the takun alam, the fixing the world, with this, this kintsugi kind of theory that, and we have sort of a picture of it up here, when he starts to put the broken pieces back together, you use gold and it really, what that does is it makes you more valuable than before you were even broken. So with who God is and all of your broken pieces, you now by who God is can be more valuable and you are more valuable and you are beautiful and it's because of how beautiful you are and because of who God is in that scenario. So um, we will be concluding today and then next week moving into our Roman series, back into the Romans. It's been a while, right? I think we're on chapter nine. Um, I guess we'll explore that this week and find out and then we'll preach about it next week. <laughs> so that'll be exciting. Uh, Romans is just a beautiful book that um, has really influenced Jacob and I and how we see the gospel and how we see who Jesus is and the mission of God and all of that. So um, we're pretty passionate about it and it's taking us a really long time. So we took a break and we'll be back. Um, but today I want to talk to you about Sabbath. Last week you heard about wholeness. If you missed that message, Drew did a great job. I didn't actually listen to it yet, but I talked to him and I saw a few of his notes and I was like, wow, that's awesome. So <laughs> I will listen to it this week, but catch that because all about wholeness and he definitely understands that really well. So it'd be a great one to listen to. Um, but today we want to talk about rest. Where do we find wholeness and, and what does this have to do with our brokenness and where in our journey of brokenness do we find rest? Um, and the answer is always, always, always in God um, and always, always, always um, often, <laughs> not just sometimes or when you're completely out of gas, but um, often. So Shabbat is our word today. Um, and my question for you before we start is, what do you like to do? 
You don't have to answer that out loud. Think about it in your mind. Um, and as you start to think of things over the next six months, I want you to start to write those down. What do you like to do? And even further, what do you love to do? See, I was studying the Sabbath. I was studying solitude, which is really hard for an extrovert. I'm like 112%. I broke the scale on the extrovert. Everything I think first comes out of my mouth. It doesn't go through this, it goes through this. And this is my brain. My mouth is sort of my brain. So solitude is completely impossible. I sit here and process out loud. Okay, God, so I'm going to go do this thing, and I'm just going to sit here. And I'm talking, narrating what I'm doing in solitude. And I'm, this was an assignment that I had for school. And I'm talking, and it was about 45 minutes later that I was like, I haven't stopped talking. I'm alone and I haven't stopped talking. Isn't that incredible? Who would have guessed it? <laughs> you, you can guess that because you just met me and it's really clear and obvious. But when I sat and I thought, what do I like to just <sighs> do? I, people kept asking me, okay, I'm a mom, I have four kids. And I was like, I don't know, like, jump rope or something like no I don't like to jump rope but my kids do and so we do the jump roping and we color and like we paint and then I clean up the paint and I hate 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 making play-doh because the flower we did that this week on winter break and it was like or last week and the flower I just gave her flower I was like forget the dough just have flour you're gonna make the same mess but apparently I love that because I did it no no but I enjoyed it I enjoyed it because this is just the thing that I do and this is just part of my life but I couldn't, I couldn't really answer that. I, I had to like write an assignment about it. Like, what do you love to do? And I'm like, oh, I love to, I don't really love that. Okay, I love to, I don't know if I love, what do I love to do? And it was this looming question. I was like, watch paint dry? Like, I don't know, anything that like gets me a break from my kids talking, which clearly they get it from me. So I have no one to blame but myself, guys. I'm stuck, I'm stuck here. But I knew I was doing Sabbath wrong, and I just, I couldn't, I couldn't get away from the doing, <laughs> doing Sabbath. When you say that, I, doing Sabbath wrong, you know you're doing it wrong. Um, there's this difference between doing and being, which we'll, we'll talk about, but that's what we need to find out. What is the doing Sabbath, and what is the being part of Sabbath? And scripture is really clear on it, so we are just going to jump right in after my 17-minute talking introduction. <laughs> great, right? Talking is good. I love talking. Uh, in Matthew 12, where Jesus basically is like, I am the Lord of Sabbath. <laughs> and you're like, whoa, that's kind of dark. Not really. It's really beautiful, actually. Uh, let's just read that. If you have a paper Bible, uh, we do have some in the back if you want to follow along. I'm in a couple different versions, mostly ESV and RSV today. It's not the virus. It is <laughs> revised. I don't even know what that's Revised standard version. There's an NRSV too. Okay, so don't get confused. There's a lot of virus crazy going on right now, so don't be full of fear. We're going to figure out how to rest. Matthew 12, 1 through 6, pop it open in your app or just follow along because it's right here. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. So you're not supposed to do anything on the Sabbath. That's the law. Okay, so he's in these grain fields. What do you do in grain fields? You do things. You don't just hang out. These are not flower fields. You're not just like, oh, I'm just going to walk through the grain field. This is so restful on the Sabbath. No, you go to the grain field because you're hungry. Okay, his disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck the heads of grain and eat. That sounds really gross. I'm not really sure how it works, but it was food, okay? Um, 
and they began, they get, began to pluck and eat. And when the Pharisees saw it, so these were like the rule, the guys were like, we got to follow the rules so the Messiah can come. And the Messiah's like, okay, hold on on all your rules, right? Let's talk about who the Messiah is. Not today, but that's Jesus. So the Pharisees saw it and they said to him, look at your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. And he said to them, have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him? So David's the Old Testament guy who's like supposed to be this really important dude. And this is what he did, how he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence. Now this bread was off limits, only to the priests. Little did the Pharisees know that David was actually considered a priest descended from like Noah's child. Bunch of research on that that's really obvious, but the Pharisees didn't see it. So, which is not lawful for him to eat, nor those who are with him, but only for the priests. Did you see that? Or have you not read the law and how the Sabbath? On the Sabbath, the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless. I tell you. So the priests, like obviously they do the work of the temple um, and they're working. Like right now I'm working because this is my job. So I'm profaning the Sabbath apparently, but I'm not guilty because that's my job, right? So I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. This is Jesus talking. I skipped a verse there. That's why there's the dots. Don't get lost in that. There's some stuff in there. It's really important, but not necessarily for today, what I'm going to tell you about. The Son of, the, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. So um, Jesus is like, I totally know everything about Sabbath, right? So what is it that you do? This, this entering of the house. These are the two pieces I want to look at today. He entered the house of God. Now, I'm not saying you can't Sabbath outside of this building. So please don't hear that, don't see that, and don't read that. Because later, he says something greater than the temple is here. The house of God. We'll get to that. That's us, okay? We are the, we are the temple. Surprise. Spoiler alert. And they ate the bread of the presence. What is this bread of the presence? What do you like to do? So here's the first thing I want to talk to you about the bread of the presence. Now, they would eat the bread of the presence. This is something that represented the Shabbat sacrifice. There are two kinds of sacrifice. There's the bloody sacrifice, the lamb. We all kind of have heard of that. Jesus sort of represents the lamb, but then he makes himself the second unbloody sacrifice by saying, I am the bread of life. So we take it in the Eucharist, we sit at the table, and there's this bread part. I don't think we talk very much about the bread. We take it, and we think about the bloody lamb, but we don't think about the unbloody sacrifice and what that represents. It's very exciting, and we've integrated a lot of it into how we do things here at Courage Church. Um, but I just, I want to put it into the Sabbath perspective because it is the Sabbath sacrifice. It is the Sabbath bread. And there's something really beautiful that they do with it out of this remembrance and, and seeing things. And we can do that too without even having this actual Sabbath bread. We'll take communion at the end of service. But So in Exodus 26, um, I'm just going to fly through a couple concepts here and then we'll talk about some more scripture. There's three sacred things that go in the tabernacle. 
And this tabernacle, basically, like, they carried around all these things to have church. <laughs> basically, Old Testament church, the Israelites. So these, there were three basic things. And this is the Ark. It's the Ark of the Covenant. It's got some things in it to represent the covenant with God. And then there's the lampstand or the menorah. Not to be confused with the Hanukkah menorah. It's a little different. There's only seven. Uh, the Hanukkah one, I think, has nine, right? I should know this, but I don't. Um, it has more arms, but, but what matters about that is essentially, I mean, it, it, the lights burn when the third item is present, and that is the bread. That is the bread of the presence. Um, and these things, the purpose of carrying them around is they represent these heavenly realities. Okay, these are like weird things. Are you imagining like this, this arc? It's like this, basically this box with like these sticks on it that like everybody takes a stick <laughs> and you just carry it and they like carry it. It almost looks like a throne. I should have put pictures up, but, um, and then they have this special table where the bread sits and it's just, <laughs> they just carry around this piece of bread. It's like, that's so weird. But inside of the ark, this isn't to represent the manna, if you're familiar with Old Testament ideas, that was basically their food and their sub substance that was present every day while they wandered in the wilderness. The manna was actually inside of the ark. So this is something else. And then this lampstand. So these both, both these kinds of sacrifices, when you do these sacrifices or when you offer these sacrifices, there are two things. And these two things are seriously important when we think about Sabbath. They're, they're required both an offering and an eating. So you sacrifice the lamb and then you have to eat the lamb. Sweet. So we have a meal, right? This is something that Courage is really familiar with, T partaking in the meal. And there's something about reconciliation in that, that it really connects us back to God. And there's something about Sabbath that does the same, the bread. So we offer the bread, and then we partake in the bread. So there's kind of just this motion. Um, it's a giving and a participation. So when you're Sabbathing, and you're giving yourself, okay, God, I'll rest. I'll give up the things of work. What is the participation? Now, I could just make it really simple and say worship. That's great. So you're going to sit and pray all day and read your Bible all day and, and sing songs of worship. I don't think that's, I think that's limiting to what God is asking us to do and what God calls worship. I mean, prayer is awesome, and reading scripture is amazing, and so, so important. All of these things are very valuable, but that's, that's not the purpose of the Sabbath. It's to worship God, but in a very broad concept that we, that we don't take on. So when you translate the bread of the presence, the, the word for presence can alternatively or argue, arguably be translated to be the bread of the face, so this is not just the presence of God, but this is the face of God. So when you see, when they carry around this bread and then they, they get it out on the Sabbath to partake in it, to see it, they, it's this visible sign of this invisible Father, God, covenant person or deity that we are in with. Um, and there's a lot of reasons why that represents covenant um, to the Old Testament or the ancient Jews. And we won't get into all of that today. Um, basically, as the tradition goes, there's this heavenly banquet in Exodus 24. And they, it, it basically, they beheld God and they ate and drank. So after 
and before Moses is on the mountain, the Ten Commandments, there's this very important moment where they just experience God and there's a banquet. The banquet, my friends, if you ever have been to a wedding, kind of seals the deal. It doesn't seal the deal in the wedding, but it represents between you and God, and this is the table is so important to us here at Courage. It represents this, it seals the deal. The promises are yours, and everything that God has forgiven you of, sealed. <laughs> it's sealed, and everything he's promised you, all the wholeness and all your brokenness, all that wholeness, the deal is sealed. Just have a meal. Let's celebrate, right? So it's this participation and this gift from God. So this, the Sabbath worship, as it continued, and this is also in Jesus' time, so Jesus participated in this Sabbath, Sabbath worship, um, it revolves around the bread. And what they would do is they were called three times a year, and this is Old Testament law, actually, they would three time, times a year come to this like center place where the bread was offered and then eaten. And they would just look at the bread and they would take in and they would, every three years they would, they would just take it out and look at it and declare, behold, God's love for you. A loaf of bread, guys. Like, this is getting really weird, <laughs> right? So there's something really, really important to this, what it represents and what it is. And this is not just about eating, though eating is just a magical thing that God created for us and will use to reconcile us. But he uses this to show something really beautiful that, yes, it seals. And they, they were required in Exodus uh, 24, three times a year, that they go and see the Lord, see the face of the Lord. So they would come and look at this bread and say, God's love for you. Behold, like, do, are we going anywhere with this? Like, this is not clicking. Like, what is going on here? What is this? So when the bread is present, the menorah is lit. And when the menorah is lit, the light of, I mean, there's lots and lots of representations of the menorah, but you see the light and the love and the face of God. So the Israelites were, were called to be a light to the nations. They were supposed to see the face of God and then shine the light. So there's a huge image-bearing thing that's happening. You see God, you know God, not the bread. I'm pointing down because I'm assuming the bread is here on a table, right? Maybe we should just put, no. Um, so you see God, then you know God, and then you can reflect God. Now this is, this is something we talk about in Romans 1. If you miss it, you can go back. It's, um, it's this thing where we realize that the more we're in the presence of God, the more we can know who he is, and then the more we can become that and reflect that in our lives. So these are the, the themes that we, we talk about often here. But I want you to see Sabbath not as this restriction, but this gift from God. It's not just a thing that we give to God. It is a thing that God gives to us. And if we don't participate in the thing that God gives to us, we're doing Sabbath. And therefore, we're doing Sabbath wrong. Okay, we'll get there. So Sabbath is the, the Shabbat. It's, it's just the, it's very similar. Um, so I decided to look this up in the dictionary instead of like the Greek dictionary. And I was actually a little amused because I feel like the dictionary is a little bit confused about tradition. Um, but I wanted to read it to you because I thought it revealed something really cool. Um, so this is a day 
of, it's defined as a day of religious observance and abstinence from work. Kept by Jews from Friday evening to Saturday, which is, these are all true-ish. Yeah, they're true. And by most Christians on Sunday. Sounds right, right? Ish. Okay, so this sounds a little like doing um, the abstinence. We're not going to do work. We're going to do abstinence from work, I guess. Um, There's not a lot of doing, right, I guess. Um, But then there was a second definition, also a witch's Sabbath. And I was like, hmm, what's that? So I read it, and a supposed annual midnight meeting of witches with the devil. Okay, hold on. So the witches get that they have to meet with their leader, but we just abstain from the things that we do in our lives. Do you see the, the chasm here? That the witches have decided they are going to meet with the thing that gives them instruction, that teaches them who they are, that shows them what to do. They're going to meet with. This is not just a, I'm going to show up and you're going to tell me what to do and I'm going to hear a lecture. This is a, we are going to collaborate. Now, I really think that maybe we've just gotten really confused and off track, but if we're just abstaining from work, why aren't we meeting with our creator? I know you show up here, and I know that you consider this a Sabbath day, potentially, hopefully, and this is well and good. You've Maybe pray when we pray, you ask for prayer, you sing along sometimes-ish to the worship songs, or you belt it out with your whole gut, and you feel like you meet with God. Okay, that is nice, but there is more. I'm not asking you to do more. Okay, I'm asking you to see how we need to be with God. Now, if the witches can be with the devil, why can't we be with God in all the ways that God has designed for us? So in Matthew 28, something really freaking cool happens, and I never noticed this before, but I don't know why. It's probably been told to me a thousand times, but I just noticed it this week when I was reading about it. So 28.1, after Jesus is dead, And then we get to Sunday. So Jesus dies on Friday. He sleeps in the womb, or in the womb, in the tomb. I guess the womb of the earth could work. So he sleeps in the the tomb. He's dead in the tomb. After the Sabbath, Sunday morning comes, and then there's the whole resurrection thing, you know, the most important part of human history, right? (laughs) After the Sabbath... So what did Jesus do? He didn't abstain from his work. The most important work that Jesus did was on the Sabbath. What did he do? He went and he fought a battle that you don't have to fight anymore. So he literally took the entire Sabbath to like be in hell and fight and get the keys to the kingdom and like set the captives free and all the people that were like enslaved to sin, right? Set them free. So if we're working on the Sabbath to be this good thing and we're just here to like be good Christians, we're kind of trying to do Jesus' job. He took one day, one day of any Sabbath to do that work and he took the Sabbath to do it. He's already won the Sabbath battle for you. 
The Sabbath battle, your victory is in your Sabbath. Oh look, in your Shabbat. So what is left for us to do? It, we're not talking about the work and the toil here. What is left for us to do is to delight in him as a creator, as his creation. I think we miss this. Your victory's already been won. Exodus 20 talks about the Ten Commandments, and he's saying, essentially, like, take the Sabbath. Remember who I am. Remember that I'm God. Remember that I made you whole and beautiful. And in your crazy, chaotic, broken world, where you became slaves, and he's talking to the Israelites, Remember that I took you out of slavery. I took you from a broken space and I made you whole. And I designed you that way at the very beginning. And at the end, we're going to work every day till the very end to make sure that you get that way again. The beginning and the end are the same. The goal of the end is to restore back to the beginning. So these are those bookends that we talk about. Creation, the created image, of humanity, the created intention of humanity. That's the thing we're headed to. That's the thing we're reconciling. That's the thing we're restoring. That's the thing we're broken because we're not in the image. We're not living the way God made us. There is toiling. There is strife. There is striving. There's all the things. There's depression and anxiety. There's suicide and there's just, I mean, ugh, disease and all the things that break our world physically and mentally and emotionally, spiritually, all of those things, there is sin, but there's a wholeness. And I don't know if we can get to that wholeness without remembering who he is and living out of that. And he tells them, then you will live a life that represents the original basically the original intention of creation. And he gives them the Ten Commandments, which if you study the law, is God saying, okay, we're really broken. Let me show you what it would look like if you lived out the full intention of creation. Keep the law. It's not just a set of rules. It's a demonstration of what that full reconciliation would look like. So when he's giving it to them, they have to know who God is. So this is also something that we see in Romans often, Romans 1 that we talk about. And this is obviously, we're made to bear the image of God, which is the opposite of brokenness. And this is how we get through our brokenness. And when we live a day of Sabbath, we're not just abstain, abstaining. We're engaging in, in the hope that that is going to be true. And we're living like God is restoring us and God is bringing us back to the original intention of creation and in the end, that's what he has for us. So when we live in that, we're starting, to, we're starting to engage in kind of what this Sabbath means, but there's a little bit more. Um, the intended version of our lives has a little bit more than just, okay, I'm gonna live like God set me free. There's more, there's more, we're missing, we're missing something still. This intended version is, it's a delight. So what do you like to do? I don't know, like how, if you don't know what you like to do, you're doing Sabbath and you're doing it wrong. And you can't be delighting in anything if you don't know what delights you. Okay, do you see where I'm going with this? Okay, so in Exodus 31, I'm just gonna read a couple things here quick. Th this is, 
people use this to just like harm you. Um, Exodus 31, he says, say to the people of Israel, you shall keep my Sabbath for this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations. This is a covenant sign. This is something to remember that the beginning, how I made you, is how I want you to end up in the end. And we're working toward that. That's the goal. That's where I want to get you. That's the purpose of all of this. Remember it, that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctified you, which Jesus did on the Sabbath, right? You shall keep the Sabbath because it's holy for you. Everyone who profanes it shall be put to death. Pause. Pause your thoughts. Let's read the rest and then we'll carry on this thought. Whoever does any work on it, that soul shall be cut off from among his people. Okay. I really urge you not to think about this as you are going to die if you don't keep the Sabbath. Okay. Maybe like if I don't rest, I get sick. Yeah. God's going to kind of give you a forced Sabbath. Not really what he's talking about. Um, you'll be cut off from the people. Your soul will be cut off. I'm just going to, uh, you didn't take a Sabbath. I don't talk to you. You're kind. No, <laughs> this is not what we're getting at. What we're getting at is you're cutting yourself off because you're not being who you are supposed to be. Your passions and desires are uniquely yours. And God gave those to you so you could live those things, so you can delight in those things. And when you are those things, you fit in the puzzle of your community. It's not a perfect picture, okay? It's life is messier than that. But you fit in the space in your community that you were designed to fulfill. Now, if you don't delight in those things and you don't do the things that set your heart on fire that you love, your community won't be whole. Because you're not you. We need exactly who you are in our community. You need exactly who you are in your family, in your home, in your classroom, in your workplace. You were designed, your, your unique passions were designed for that space. And God put you there. It's not that you're going to be ousted. It's that you're going to set yourself out. You're not being who you were designed to be. And kind of, if you're not being that person, there's not room for you. Not because there's not room for you, but because there's only room for you, the one true real you that God made you to be. You have to be you. And that's, that's where I want you to think about this verse going. We have to rest. Your identity, who you are, is in your Sabbath. In Deuteronomy 5, we remember that you were a servant in the land of Egypt. The Lord your God, sound familiar? This is what we've been saying. The Lord your God brought you out with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day, to remember who he is, to never forget that. Remember what God did for you. Let him continue. That, that is what we're doing when we're in the Sabbath. That is the only doing that we do. There's no fruit or labor on the seventh day. We have to rest or our bodies will force us to do it. It's how we were designed. We were not designed to work more than six days or five if you're an American and you're over 40, then no more than five hours a day for four days. It changes every day. Okay, it doesn't matter. The point is we need rest, but more than just sleep and rest, we need to be delighting and we need to find out who we are so that we're not separating ourselves from the thing that we were supposed to be from the person that we're supposed to be in this world that God made a very special us to fit in a very special need and a very special place. And if we're not that, then 
nothing's fulfilled, us or our community, nothing about that is fulfilled. What's the real fruit then? So let's get to the something greater than the temple here. Um, remember Matthew 12, that beginning. So um, we're going to jump to Hebrews 4 at this time, and we are going to wrap up with this. So Drew, if you want to come back up, and I'm going to make this short so you guys can have a good nap today, right? <laughs> Um, so in Hebrews 4, 11 through 16, this is sort of this eschatological, there's the final sleep on the final day, and all God's people will rest, right? Okay, this isn't we're dead in our graves. Um, right before 11, verse 1, it kind of talks about that, but it's this hope, eschatological meaning like, what's going to happen in the future at the end-ish kind of um, and when we participate in that, when we participate in this hope, like we've been talking about the beginning and the end, those bookends, what we were created for and where we're headed in our restoration with God, where is that that we're headed? That's what we, we know that God is cre recreating us and restoring us. So we're going to live that way. I know you're going to restore me, God, so I am going to delight in you. And I'm going to delight in the things that you've designed me to delight in. So when we look at Hebrews 11, 4, 11 through 16, there's this big old, therefore. All right, now when you study scripture and you see therefore, you can't just read it and then take it for what it's worth. You have to go back <laughs> to what is therefore, this happened, therefore, what I'm about to say has everything to do with what I just said. So you get this, chapter three is therefore. So you go back to chapter two and you have another therefore, and there's like several of them. When you're looking through Hebrews, it's therefore, therefore, therefore. So Hebrews one, um, you can't, you can't not look at it. Um, this is the therefore, and then we'll look at four. So therefore, Hebrews 1, 1 through 4, long ago, I feel like we're about to watch a Star Wars movie. Not really, but at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son, okay, whom he appointed the heir of all things through whom he also whom also created the world. Okay, so Jesus is there at creation. Okay, cool, cool, we're getting there. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his, his being God's nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After, after making purifications for his sin, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Okay, this radiance of the glory, this is the image of God. This is the image-bearing thing that we talk about. I don't want you to think, okay, I have to be like glowing <laughs> and like, oh, I'm so happy all the time, although some of you are, and it's really, really refreshing. Um, that's important, and that's part of it. But this radiance and this glory, this is at the beginning of, of uh, the whole book when we talk about being fruitful and multiplying in Genesis. What are we being fruitful and multiplying? We're being fruitful and multiplying the image. And then Jesus represents that. So we're going to get to the therefore in just a second. Jesus represents that. And then he sits down at the right hand to the throne room and the man takes a Sabbath. 
go hand in hand. Therefore, let us therefore strive to enter that rest into the throne room of God to figure out who we are so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For I skipped a couple verses, but this is what matters. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, our brokenness, our trouble, our trauma, our, 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 the things that we go through in life, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Now, this is not just about helping us when we're broken. This is about when we go there, what is the image that we take of? Now, we as Christians love talking about the fruit of the Spirit, and if we spend enough time with God, we'll be happy, right? And we'll love people, awesome. But there's so much more to this that we don't look at and we don't see. What is it that you love to do? I, I urge you to find that because this is, we have to trust that thing, that thing that we love, that that's who we were made to be, that that's the thing that God needs in the world that he gave it to you so that as a passion, a unique desire, so that the world could see, so that you could be the bread, so you could see the face of God. You can look at that bread and go, I love shrimp scampi, and God wanted more shrimp scampi in the world. Whatever it is that you see God and experience God, and that you delight in, He wants you to practice doing those things on the Sabbath. Take a day. And they say that every human being needs one day a month of solitude for like six hours something like that, where you don't see other people. It's just you and you, and you and God, and, and God and, and you, and this image of God where you practice, and you find, and you just discover, and you rest, and you seek, and you look, and you, and you, and you, you hunt for the thing that you love. If it's watching paint dry, because that's the only time that you get space, or it's just you and God, you need solitude, and that's okay to say you love watching paint. I've said it. I've been there, okay, where I'm like, I just want to watch the paint dry. Doesn't that sound delightful when things are chaotic? But if we trust the things that are to come and we work out of our Sabbath, out of the nearness, out of that identity, we are the temple. We are the place where God is saying, I want to keep my face. I want to keep who I am. And a little bit of God exists in you so that you can be that in the world and it brings somebody hope. And if that's an amazing chocolate pudding, then that's what God has for the world, okay? Like, let's not minimize the goodness that God's put in our world everywhere. I really love food. I'm very incarnational theology. Burgers are my sweet spot. A burger is seriously the face of God to me. If, if I could rebuild this, if I could rewrite scripture, I would say a nice fat juicy burger, okay? Is anybody hungry yet? You should be because it's a Sabbath and you should delight in the things that you delight in. We are the face of God in the world. And 
we draw here, what do you love to do? What do you like to do? Watching paint dry. Do the thing that gets you the moment away from the doing. You finish painting, and then you get to just That heavy feeling on your chest that life brings you is lifted, and I imagine it being like this Sabbath thing that we do. I just imagine a burger on a plate, okay? Just a giant one just lifting <laughs> the weight of the world. Life is heavy, the world is heavy. I get emails and Facebook messages every day that, guys, they make me just weep because it's just so much. It's like the whole world is going through so much. And it's hard to bear and it's heavy. And when we let ourselves delight in something, we lift that burden. What you do is not your purpose. It's who you are. It's what you delight in. It's what you long to do and you engage in. And we have to work out of that. This measurement of success is what we're defining as our purpose. It's a very Western thought, but I mean, even in like the elementary schools, even in the artsy ones that are like, let's not be about what we do, but then they have these like thermometers that are like, oh, the progress of what we've done. And you color it in, it's a different color every time because they don't use the same marker. Why, why do we drive and measure? Those things are good and they help us set goals and move forward, but can we step back and just tear down those measurements and stop measuring our Sabbath on what we're abstaining from. What did you do? I didn't do, I was. Who are you? This crazy guy always drives the wrong way on the one way on our street. But I don't talk about what he's doing. I say, you're driving the wrong way. Don't you know you are? Fill in the blank, whatever you would say. It's probably not what I said, but maybe. You're an idiot, or you're stupid, or you're gonna get somebody killed, or you're not thinking. It's about what you are. When somebody does something, the root of what you do is rooted in who you are. And then out of that comes what you do. And if we always do, 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 and then day seven we go, who am I? I'm just not gonna do. We're so confused. This is about who you are took on who he was, who he is. I mean, haven't we heard in scripture that it says, Lord, what's your name? I am. Because all the other names of God are about what God does. But I am who I am, because I am. And when you sit in the presence of God, and when you Sabbath, can you take on the I am, and just be, I am excited about this thing. I am in love with doing this thing. I am so stoked to go to the park. I hate going to the park. It's so boring. But my kids love it, so we do it. So I have to find the thing that I love to do when I'm there because of who I am. What's set, in fire, set on fire in me when I do that? It's out of who we are that we do. They say that trauma destroys your sense of time as if your suffering will never, ever end. Your sense of being is completely demolished when you suffer. And if we can just step away from this sense of time that is one of those measures of success, if we can step away from that and be, 
then we can then crawl out of our suffering, right? With the help and the hope of God and the community around us, we have to be. And this measure of success isn't measuring anything. It's, it's like measuring sand with a ruler. Like you can measure a square and then you can't, it's a volume thing. We're using the wrong measurement. You see what I'm saying? The light and the Sabbath, the rest. I just want to tell you a couple things that, that we can, this is just practical. If you're looking for Sabbath activities, take a nap. I will never forget the professor that says, I want you to take solitude. Here's some examples of some things that you should do while you Sabbath in solitude. And take a nap was on there. And I was like, say, number one, take a nap. I don't know if before that moment I ever took a nap without waking up going, I shouldn't be sleeping. I'm worthless. I'm, I'm accomplishing nothing. Do the thing you love. I'll tell you that I've, I've, I've started doing things that I never thought I would love, like camping, like this dirty, smelly, lots of work, but I love it because when I'm there, I just feel so connected to God and the world and disconnected from the things that are the weight, the things that take the weight off. Can we go somewhere that we can just be? I, I often sit and play this piano. I came one day at four o'clock in the morning and I was like, ping, 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 and now I'm writing songs. I have a piano at my house. Thank you, all the people that helped carry it. It's little, but because I, when I do that, I feel so alive. And I feel like there's no way God doesn't love me right now because I just am. It's not about what I'm doing. It's about who I am when I'm doing those things or not doing those things. And those are the things I delight in on my Sabbath. I always take a nap. If you're married, do married people things. Like delight in each other, right? Like push your kid on the swing or tickle them and see how it makes you feel. It makes you feel alive. Do the things you love. All right, no, Chris. Just kidding. It's like I wanted to go eat last Do the things you love, right? So who wants to take a nap and go eat a delightful salad if you're a vegetarian or burger if you're a carnivore like me? Like whatever you love to do, are you, are you, has anybody made a list yet? Have you started to think about that? Good, do those things, do them. Choose one day a week that you don't say, I have to measure what I'm doing today and just go with the flow. I'm gonna do this. I think I'm gonna do this today. I think I'm gonna do this. Actually, I don't wanna do that, so I'm not going to. How much freedom is in that? You sleep better at night. We have to delight and we have to work out of our Sabbath. Sabbath is not, we've been going, 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 now it's time to rest. You don't earn a Sabbath. Your Sabbath earns your work week. And when you know who you are and you become something and you, you can say, I am, then you can show up at work and you can achieve so much more. Let's stop earning. I had this, I had an assignment due and I was late and I hit midnight and I was like, oh, I promised I was gonna take a Sabbath when this was over. And God said, then take it. And I was like, but I'm not done. And he was like, who cares? And of course I'm arguing with God. I'm at a hotel at the beach with my family going, I said I'd be here so that when I was done, it would get me to work, it would motivate me to work and finish. And I just didn't finish. So I emailed my professor and I said, God said, take a Sabbath. I committed to a Sabbath. I'm going to be two more days. 
because tomorrow's my Sabbath. And guess what? I took that Sabbath and I rested and I finished that paper the next day. And it was amazing. It was better than if I would have just like, mm, I should be resting right now. I should be enjoying my family. I rested. Rest in him. Delight in the things that he's given you. He needs you in this world. He needs your life. He needs who you are. Be those things. Take a nap. I keep thinking about what you said, what she said about how trauma makes time just sort of stop. So all of a sudden, we, 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 we don't even realize that one day's gone, or one week's gone, one month's gone, and then before long, you start to realize the goal of the enemy is to suck away your entire life. His goal is to take it. His goal is to create something in your life that he can keep reminding you of and keep you in that place while your entire life just floats away. That's the goal. And a lot of people, a lot of times it works. But God has created a system, a path, a plan in, in which if we follow it, that won't work. Sabbath is one of those things. You know, I, I, I often think about Second Chronicles. Uh, so in the Old Testament, there's something called the Sabbath year. And God keeps commanding, he commands Israel, hey, every, every seven years, take a Sabbath year. Don't work the land. Just let the land rest for one, one year. And it was one of those commands that Israel never kept. They just didn't do it. But God told them to do it, but they didn't do it. But when you get to the end of Second Chronicles, you read that Israel's now being carried away into exile in Babylon. And you're always like, God, why would that happen? And, and what it says in 2 Chronicles, it's the very, one of the second to last thing you read in the whole book, is it says they're going to go into exile for 70 years to make up for every Sabbath year that they did not take so that the land could finally get that rest that it needed. It's sort of like how she said, in your own body, we think we can just keep pushing and keep pushing and keep pushing and not follow the system the way that God created it. And we can do that and we can get some function for a while, but eventually your body's going to crash and you're going to have a forced Sabbath. Because God knows you can't just go and go and go and go. You have to rest. You have to find wholeness in him. It's all for your benefit. It's all for your joy, like she said, to delight in. And I, I, I think about this, this graphic that we created for this series. And if you were with us from the very beginning of the series, the first message was called Tikkun Olam. And, and the, it, which Tikkun Olam means to fix the world, to re repair the world, because the world is broken and our lives are broken. And so the graphic was just broken pieces. And then the second, uh, the second sermon was called Kintsugi. And the concept of Kintsugi is a Japanese concept which we walked you through where you would take a broken vessel and you would repair it with gold. She mentioned it at the beginning of the service. And the concept is that by the time this broken thing is fully repaired through Kintsugi, it's more valuable than it was before it ever was even broken. And there's a lot you can take from that. But God wants to use the broken stories. He wants to use the broken pieces of your life to use you to do something great for others, for the world, to repair the world. And of course, then we went through uh, some of the different specific ways that were broken, anxiety, depression, 
uh, just a bunch of different things like that. But as, you, as we get to wholeness, you start to see that the, the image is coming together in the graphic because wholeness is possible and rest is possible. And we as a body believe that, yes, we are broken people who are all coming together, working together, working out of our brokenness to restore humanity, to restore Detroit as best as we can. But we also do believe that when we put all those pieces together and we live our lives centered on the gospel of Jesus Christ, we do not have to live broken forever. We can be whole and there is rest in Jesus Christ. And that's what this entire series has been about. It's about walking through this time that says, hey, have you, are you hurting? Yeah, I am too. Hey, are, 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 you, are, you, are you struggling with anxiety? Yeah, me too. I'm there. I've been there. We've, we've walked together. Through, we, that way you can walk together with, things with people because if you always pretend like you're fine when you're not fine, then you have a bunch of people who are like zombies who walk into a church and all pretend like there's nothing wrong and then they go home to their messes and they know, man, life is not supposed to be this way. And they think that everybody else's life is perfect. That's why we did that. That's why we've been so vulnerable and so intentional with this series. But by the time you reach the end of this journey with us, hopefully you realize God has something more for you than just a bunch of broken pieces. He wants to repair you with gold. And he wants to use your life for more than you ever imagined. Reconciliation. It's what Courage Church is all about. It's what we believe that the church of Jesus Christ is to be about. And as we wrap up this series, we just want to encourage you. Look for those places where there's rest. you got to find rest. you got to work out of your rest. I love, I don't know if you caught that at the very end of what she was saying, but the, we all think that we earn our rest. But no, you, you, you work out of your rest. You, you take the rest and that earns you the ability to then go and be whole. Rest, then step into who you're supposed to be. That's what we believe here. That's what we want for you. It's the journey to wholeness. And we believe that it, God has it for each and every person in this place. We love you. We hope you have an amazing, amazing week. Uh, our prayer for you today is that you would leave this place. Like we, always, like we always pray that you'd leave this place reconciled to God so that you can be an agent of reconciliation, that you can actually make a tangible difference in the community uh, that we're a part of.